bonjour. Salut. Uh, thank you for listening to Man Enough. Mm-hmm. I am uh, Justin Baldoni. Mm-hmm. Je this suis is, uh, Elisabeth Plan. This is the worst accent in the history. Uh, it's uh, really, well, really bad. I know. I'm, I try to be sexy. It's, it's terrible. It's not. It's uh, welcome to Man Enough. Hi. I'm Justin. I'm Liz. I'm Jamie. And why am I speaking with a terrible French accent? <laughs> Who do we have on that's... Uh, Liz, are you super excited about what's I coming am. on? I am. We have a fellow French-Canadian, which is very rare <laughs> <laughs> she is in my line of work. So excited. <laughs> yes, Georges Saint-Pierre. Say no, it like I don't. I say if it. you would have said his name, you wouldn't have I known what I'm talking not about. Known who you're talking yes, about. that's happens to me all George Saint Pierre. George Saint Pierre. George Saint Pierre. And right. who, who is no. he? For those of us who have no idea who he is, like yeah. the most famous uh, UFC MMA fighter in the world. Mm. In the yeah, world. I would say top five, probably. Wow. Yeah. He has had the most crazy face brutal beatings after he wins and yet somehow he's so damn good looking still Mm -hmm. so a little jealous about that well it's cool that we have someone that actually is in a sport that epitomizes like manhood yeah it'll be interesting conversation Um, to have him have a conversation like this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you know anything about the ufc i know everything about the ufc jay no i'm a big huge and you know who he is then oh you've got i've got posters of him great okay (laughs) i call bullshit uh all right Uh, we'll be right back with Georges Saint-Pierre. This is Man Enough. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome back to Man Enough. And uh, if if I could have one guest that all of my male friends are jealous that I get to talk to you today, it would be George Saint Pierre. Mm. How are you, man? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show. And I have a question for Liz Plank. How do you feel about his accent? I love it because I used to have it. Uh, moi aussi, je suis Montréalaise. Donc, je veux dire ton nom, George Saint Pierre. Comme il faut. Wow. Ouais. Je, m'a, je m'attendais pas à ça. Je, je m'attendais vraiment pas à ça. Wow, <rire> fait que tu habites à Montréal? J'habite à côté de Montréal, sur la rive sud. Ah, cool. Ben, ça compte comme Montréal. Wait, you wow. should have. Guys, you would... Not only that she speaks French, she speaks with a perfect, perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect. She didn't lose it. it. Um, no, how, how long you been in in US? Uh, seven years. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait you used, used to have his. Wait, so when you spoke, oh, you spoke I used to English talk it like Fra- this. Yeah, yeah. I Where used, did it go? I mean, it. I had to uh, adjust to your culture and your people so that I would <laughs> like be accepted wife, and be able to talk about American politics. It makes me sad because I I love the way you speak. It's so much more beautiful. I wish I would have grew up speaking English, but I I learned it too late in my life. I, I you know, I went to school and in a French environment, we learn English like mm-hmm. once yeah. or twice a week growing up. Yeah. But mm. every time we go back to our normal life, we, you know, I was speaking French. So I, I started to speak English really when I was about 18, yeah. 19 wow. years old. I'm wow. jealous. Because it was a necessity. But before that, I, I, you know what I mean? You always talk- go back Perfect. to the most comfortable. On top of being one of the baddest in terms mm-hmm. of like 
toughest men on the planet. Mm. I'm also extremely jealous that you have such a sexy accent. Yes, don't ever <laughs> lose it. You don't learn English at the right time. I well, let's... think the best accent is the British accent. I think. <laughs> Can we, uh, let's, let's learn about let's, you. Yeah. Uh, yes. Liz is going to embarrass you. She's going to read your bio oh my for, gosh, for our yes. audience. So um, bear George with her. George Saint-Pierre, you're an actor, you're an MMA legend, widely regarded as one of the greatest fighters in mixed martial arts in history. history. All right? Fellow Québécois, oui. Uh, tu viens de Saint-Isidore, Canada. So that's where you're from. Yeah. Since your official retirement from professional MMA fighting in 2019, uh, you've parlayed your career into a burgeoning career in Hollywood. Uh, and you uh, did a role as Batroc from Captain America, um, which was a Disney Plus series, uh, yes. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And you've continued to carve out a name for yourself um, in so many different uh, arenas, following your long reign as the welterweight champion of the world. Mm. Yeah, mic drop. That's a big so mic So you're drop. an underachiever, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so George. Um, God, I, just, I feel like I want to ask him in my, my terrible French accent, but I'm not going to do it because uh, this please is serious. So I want to ask you a serious question, all right? Um, especially for all the men who are listening who know you could rip their heads off with your hands, your beautiful, strong hands and arms and abs. Okay, I'm going to stop. But I want to know, when was the last time, George, that you didn't feel enough? Every time I got, I was going to a fight, I was extremely uncomfortable, terrified. Mm. I was scared. And I am in a very egotistic um, field of work, right? Everybody trying to be the alpha and showcase their strong and try to intimidate each other. But I was, every fight, I was terrified. I was putting on an act. Mm. And I was always doubting myself. Mm. Man, am I good enough? Am I going to get humiliated? Uh, am I able, to, am, am I going to be able to do this? So every single time, there's not a fight in my career that I went there 100% confident. Wow. Never. Mm. I was always terrified and scared to death. I never enjoyed fighting, not even once in my life. I did it because I used that as a benchmark to propel me where I, want, where I wanted to get to in life, mm -hmm. to have the freedom, the health, because it keeps you healthy to be an athlete, the wealth, the access of things that people might not have. Basically, that's why I did it. I never enjoyed it, not even a second. Wow. So if you could go back, you know, you, you're saying you did enjoy what your life's work was, right? Or what you were most known for. So how would yeah. you do it differently so that maybe you would have enjoyed fighting? Or or is fighting inherently something, you know, you, you kind of say that it, it was something that um, you never really wanted to do, but you wanted the lifestyle. Well, I, I if, if I look around myself sometime and, I was asking myself the same question, especially early on in my career, because a lot of guys, they enjoyed it. You know, even two weeks ago, I was in Vegas. I was cornering one of my training partner and he was in the locker room before the fight and he was having fun. He was like, hey, I'm so excited to do this. And I, and I told him, I said, man, you're a psychopath. Like before <laughs> I fight every single time, I'm, I'm 
I'm asking that question. I'm terrified. I'm like, man, what the hell I'm doing? What the <laughs> hell I'm doing this for? Oh my god! And once the fight is is over and I win, I'm like, yeah, when is the next one? You know, it's uh -huh. a weird thing. But it all started when I was a kid. I um, when I was a kid, I am a. I was not the same person. I, I, I uh, when I, I remember, I looked at myself in the mirror back then, and I didn't like what I, what I was seeing, because I was a kid that that lacked a lot of confidence, a lot mm. of self confidence, and I was getting picked on a lot at school. I was victim of bullying, and I didn't like what I was seeing, but I learned how to fall in love with who I wanted to become and it gives me a sense of direction a purpose mm. and that's how my journey begins mm. you know what i mean i wanted to change my environment but i realized that i need to change myself from the inside out in order to change my environment you know sometimes you want to change things that, that are around yourself but you have no control on it the best thing to do is to change yourself and from there, things will get better, you know? That's what martial art taught me mm. in the beginning. I wish I could tell you that I get reared of bullying because I beat up all my, uh, my, my, my bully, but it, it's not how it happened to me. Mm. I learned how to gain confidence with martial art and, and in, in nature, predatory animal gonna hunt the easiest prey. Mm. Bullied are the same way. They're gonna take on the easiest uh, victim, you know, and the, the person that, that doesn't seem strong. And that's, that was my problem. When I was young, I was looking down, I, I walked with my shoulder shrug. And when I shook someone's hand, I was looking it down. Mm. I didn't have a, a good self-confidence and that's what martial art taught me. It made me change. And by changing, I get rid of bullying. That's how the journey begins for me. Mm. Wow. So I'm curious if you can take me back to that boy who walked with his shoulders low and who didn't look at people when he shook their hands. What was going on at home yeah. for you? What was, what was happening at home that made that boy so insecure? I was, I was having a hard time at school because I was not focusing on the right thing. I was not focusing on what the teacher was saying in front of the class. I was focusing on how I'm gonna get my bag in my locker room. Mm reach the bus before I get beat up by the bully was waiting for me every single day. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a bad time for me. I was terrified. It doesn't seem much because, but when you're a kid, I grew up in Canada. It's a nice country. I can't complain about it, but it doesn't mean because you're, you're born and raised in a nice country that always nice thing happened mm -hmm. there. Mm. Yep. So school was not very good for me. It was a bad experience. And when I was going back home, my dad used to, and, and my dad was, he became one of my greatest inspiration because he used to drink. He was an alcoholic mm. and um, uh, he worked really hard and he stopped when I was a teenager and it really changed the, the, the bound in our family, which mm. it makes us much closer and stronger, mm. but it, I, it was a bad environment. So I would, school was not good at home. Things were not the best either. So the only place, that I felt reward, it was at the dojo, the mm. place where I was training, the place where I learned how to defend myself karate. 
that's the only place I felt like, man, I, I, I'm doing good. I, it was value. It, it was, I felt like I had value there. Yeah. Yes. Mm. That's why probably I choose that path. It's mm. not an accident. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. So when you spoke of um, you're in this field that is very masculine, very all about strength, domination, um, and you have risen to the top of that. And yet you admitted that going to each fight, you also were afraid, which is really brave to say that out loud, right? Yeah. Um, what was your relationship then with your own manhood, right? Because I imagine that you're in a, in a field that's all about being what society says is being a man, and that's what makes a man really wonderful and strong and all these qualities. And yet you were afraid of some of that. So did it ever make you question just yourself and, um, or did you think differently than that? Like how you walk now through the earth? Um, do you feel, yeah, just tell me how that was for you. I've been on both sides. So when I was young, I, I was on the side of, I would say I was a, I was a coward. Sometimes people were picking on me or picking on friends. And I was I didn't have the courage to stand up for myself because I was afraid to, to get beat up and being humiliated. And later on, I was on the other side. I was afraid, but I was I had the strength and the will to stood up to it and face the challenge. That's what I did in the fight. I think what really inspired me is because I never had really a chance to take revenge on mm. my bullied. And, and I don't think revenge is the solution. Um, I was a, a teenager and I remembered I saw the first UFC that Hoyce Gracie won at the time. At the yeah. time, it didn't have any weight class. The rules were much different. That it was, was amazing. Very, it was like a barbar, like very barbarian type of fight. Right. And I remember I, I saw that little man, Royce Gracie. I mean, I say little, but to compare it to it, all his opponent, he seems very little. And he was fighting against guy that looked way more intimidating than, than he was. And he won the tournament. And I remember when I saw him won the first U tournament in the UFC. I realized, and I, and I kind of was very inspired by him doing this because he did something that I never had the courage to do. He mm. stood up and he was able to beat his home bullied, so to speak, because mm. in the sport, you know, before you have interviews and people try to intimidate each other and he really inspired me. And right at that time, I was about 16, 15 to 16 years old. I knew that's what I wanted to do for a living. And I remember when I said that to my friend, they all start laughing and make fun of me. Mm. I mean, yeah, you talk a lot about being afraid, but you've been very brave mm. in, in many points, and especially with the break that you took in 2013, right? Um, and, and that you decided to come back only when the UFC was going to be testing um, athletes, basically, uh, based on, you know, if they were taking steroids or not. And you've really taken a, taken a position on that. Um, can you can you talk about why that that was important to you, and even just more broadly, the theme of of, of steroids and body image? I, I know <laughs> Justin's going to want to talk about it too, but just just to, to pivot into that and the pressures um, that exist within your whole industry. 
yeah, I um, I was competing at a time that they didn't really add test test for the athlete, you know. So and and I know for a fact. I mean, I can't say name, and 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 I, that's not what I wanted to do. That a lot of guys that I that I was competing against were on performance enhancing drugs, and it's very unfortunate because. You can say I play baseball, I play basketball, but you don't play fighting. The outcome of uh, of a fight is much more serious. Yeah. Could be much more serious than a, the outcome of a of a basketball game or anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you can you can die out there. So that's the main reason why I'm against performance enhancing drug in the sport. Mm-hmm. And um, I was very vocal about it, and uh, that's one of the main reasons why I took my my. Uh, my break mm. um, after my fight with Johnny Hendricks. But what I do regret is that, and I didn't have the courage to do it at the time, and I regret it a little bit. And live with regret, it's very bad. And I and I, I should have done it, is during the press, there was one big press conference be- before the fight that I said vocally that I was going to get tested by uh, VADA, who's one of the most prestigious organizations yeah. to be tested by. Mm-hmm. Um, my opponent agreed. UFC didn't say a word. But when it was time to do the press conference live, my opponent disagreed, said he was not going to do it. And what I should have done at the time, and I didn't do it, so I feel regret. I was not man enough to do it. I should have said, oh, yeah, you don't want to do it? I'm quitting. Bye, ciao. Should, that's what I should have done. Mm. And I did not do it. I took the fight. Why do you think you didn't do it? I didn't do it because it was a lot on the line. Uh, it was during a training camp, so the preparation for that fight was already happening. And if you, you know, if you if you cancel everything at the last minute, it it's like you you cancel yeah, the show, you cancel the minute. Yeah. So, so, but it it would have been the right thing to do. And I didn't do it. I took the fight. I was going through a tough time too. I was in depression. It was probably the worst training camp of my life. Hmm. Took that fight. I won the fight. It was very close fight. And after I, I took I re, I took my break, I never wanted to hurt the UFC, and I hurt someone in particular. That the reason why I'm doing this is I wanted to change the system, because sometimes I I understand that for one individual it, taking performance enhancing drug, it can it can make the difference between being a millionaire or not making it in the yeah. big league. So. And I'm aware of it. And it's the same thing in baseball, basketball, football, by the way. It's the same thing in every other sport. But I, I'm under the impression that in fighting, in combat sport, especially like my, like my sport, it's even more important because mm. the, 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 it's very dangerous. Mm. So that's why I did that. I did. I never wanted to hurt the UFC. I knew I was aware that in the short term, a lot of their superstar would fail. And that's what happened. And UFC knew that. So at the beginning, they didn't want to do it. But they had a lot of pressure after mm. to do it. So they changed their policy on it. They hired USADA to test their athlete. And in the beginning, it was a disaster. A lot of their superstar tested positive. It was, a, it was a, like a disgrace. You know, it was crazy because now you could really see the reality of things. But I believe that at the long run, it, 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 it elevates their image and it elevate the image of the the sport and that's what i wanted to do i was seeing it to the long 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 at the long run not in the, it, it was not a short term pro- project for me yeah and that's that takes tremendous bravery 
George, to go up against a whole system? Well, I, I, I did it because I was a big name in the organization. So I had a lot of leverage. Oh. Yeah. And I mm. know that I wasn't the only one that was that had the same opinion. I knew mm. that, that there were there were many, many guys that, that couldn't stood up publicly to say it because they would have been penalized. Because people are don't know the reality of things, but fighting, it's a guys don't make a lot of money. I mean, you only heard about the Conor McGregor, the champions. You know, I made a lot of money, but you, you in the beginning of my career, man, I didn't make a lot of money. I started yeah. my first professional fight. I made a thousand three hundred in my first professional yeah. fight. My first fight in UFC was three thousand plus three thousand six thousand. In the my first fight in UFC, my first championship fight was nine thousand plus nine thousand, and I lost my first championship fight. Yeah, I, I only gained nine thousand. It's not a lot. So that that. How it was back then, but people are under the impression that once you fight for a title, you you immediately a millionaire, no. and you're not. You need to build yourself up, build up your brand, and and once you reach a certain status, yeah, and and people tune in, they want to see you fight. Now you make a lot of money, but it takes a lot of time. So I was not alone, but I was one of the only guy that had that. I would say that level in the company, that, that power that could stood up and say mm. the truth mm. about it. I, I love hearing you talk like this. It's so interesting. It's It couldn't be a farther parallel, but there's parts of what you're saying that I personally resonate with, right? My UFC, <laughs> if you will, you know, and, and you stood up in the UFC to fight for something and um, because of your privilege and power and what little privilege and power I have, I'm fighting the patriarchy. A little bit of a different system, uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, it does kind of feel like fight to the death. And at the same time, I also have so much compassion for so many other men in positions of privilege and power like myself who don't say anything for the same reason why so many men in the UFC were so afraid to say something because they can lose it all. Yeah. So I, I honor and respect what you did. I, I'm, in some ways, um, we have this idea. I like to call it the myth of the alpha, the myth of the alpha male. And um, okay. in my book, Man Enough, I, I, I kind of talk about how the alpha is a myth, right? It's actually rooted um, in, a, uh, in a researcher who studied wolves and wrote a book early on in his career, I think it was the 70s, published the book and he talked about this alpha wolf. And then of course, what we do best as men is we take that idea of, oh, see, this is how it is with animals. We are animals. The alpha wolf is the lone wolf, um, conquers via domination. And then we kind of adapt that. And in reality, what this researcher uh, tried to do is he tried to have that book taken off the shelves and removed from print because it was taken out of context. See, this researcher studied a wolf in captivity and he found that it was through domination that this wolf became an alpha. But in reality, when you study wolves in the wild, wolves act very similar to families. There are no lone wolves. In fact, the lone wolf is literally a lonely wolf. It's a lonely, sad, depressed wolf. But we've taken that into our own context and we've created this myth of the alpha. And the alpha is this lone man that has to fight to the death, right? We use the UFC as this yeah. analogy of the patriarchy. 
that's the fight to the death in a cage, the last man standing. I can exercise my will over each other. Liz calls the patriarchy a pyramid scheme, which it really is. The higher you get, the more you have to dominate. You get to the top and you're just waiting for somebody to take your position of power, which you've said in the UFC, it's hard to get to the championship. It's even harder to stay a champion. I'm just curious, uh, George, now reflecting on your life, on your life as a man, um, do you do you ever struggle with the fact that you've come to be famous, you've come to make money really via a sport that glorifies violence and in many ways then ask men to become alphas like you, like men want to be you. Why do they want to be you? Well, because you're the baddest man in the world. However, what often they don't see, what I see is I also see a man who handled himself off of, out of the ring like a gentleman. Uh, you never had a controversy. You were kind to people, right? You didn't, you didn't play up. You weren't, you weren't creating this, like I'm a bad guy and trying to do crazy things for PR. But I'm just curious if you ever, do you ever struggle with that? Because you were bullied as a kid. There is a big uh, stereotype about uh, uh, people in combat sport, especially uh, fighters, right? That uh, exactly like you said, were like cavemen yeah. <laughs> who tried to be alpha. But I believe things have changed, you know, like in the during hunter gatherer time, maybe maybe the alpha was the, the strongest man or the one that was the best in terms of survival. You know what I mean? Later on, it become maybe, I guess, the, the, the world become more materialistic, like more about money. Then I believe it's up now, now it's about maybe technology, you know, someone mm -hmm. who, who manipulate the technology the best, who's the, who knows how to, you know, maneuver in terms of society could be the alpha. So I think it's, it was always very important for me if I wanted to, you know, to, to, to have a good life, to not only be a good fighter, because I, I, I wanted to become also a, a good model for people who are watching the sport. I wanted to do, to make a difference, yeah. you know, not only be seen as a, someone who can beat up another person, um, because that's not who I am. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to be, to be more, I wanted to, to have a, a good, a good positive impact. And, and, and that's, my brand, you know, I wanted to be someone that is regarded as a, as a, as a, as a positive figure, you know, and not only a good fighter. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. So what do you say to those men that are listening right now, those young boys that think that they need to grow their muscles big to become, to have their bodies become machines in order to be respected. I have a lot of parents and this is a true story that comes with me with their kids, you know? And they always tell me, hey, George, this is the, the future world champion. This is my son. Which advice would you give him? <laughs> and I look down and I always say the same thing. I tell the, the kid, I say, are you going to school? Yes, this is the most important thing for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you have dreams, try to reach it as much as you can, you know? But the odds of becoming a, an elite fighter and to make it are very low. So you need to have an assurance, 
you know, stay at school. Mm. Maybe in school you don't like it right now, but it's an assurance for you. Mm. Because you can't be uh, Georges Saint-Pierre, you can't be, you know what I mean? The chance of, of succeeding is very, very rare. And I'm not only talking about fighting, I'm talking about basketball, hockey. You see many guys and young, young kids, they, they put all their eggs in the same basket. And what happened if in your late 20s or early 30s, you, you, you get in a car accident or you just simply don't make it? You have nothing that you can fall back into. Your life is ruined. So what I say to the kid is, yes, try to make it big, but stay at school. Educate yourself. In the meantime, while you're training, try to become a lawyer, an engineer, or whatever you want it to be, you know, in case things doesn't turn out the way you want. Mm. I was lucky. Yeah, I, I worked really hard. I was maybe I was gifted. You know, I was a good athlete. But you never know what can happen in life. I, I was lucky. Luck. I'm saying luck because it's my ignorance. I yeah. don't know what really caused it, but I made it. But things could have turned in a different direction. Well, look, in look a what happened. Night. Look what happened to your counterpart, Matt Hughes. Right, the first your first yeah. fight, your first big championship. You know, one of your first big championship fights. I, I mean, he got hit by a. I, I don't know if you I, know this, but he got hit by a train. And I know many, many guys. I know many person that I was training with that was just as good as me, just as talented as me, but mm. they never made it. Maybe one get in a car accident, one uh, tear his ACL uh, or, or never came back as good as he was or, or, or simply things that can influence your emotion, your judgment. Yeah. So it's important to have an assurance. And, and I did it myself. I was at school. People think I had no choice and I became a fighter. That's not true. That's another uh, stereotype. I, I, I was studying. I didn't know what I wanted to become, but I was at school. My parents forced me mm. to say, we want you to be educated. Go at school. The, the when I stopped, it was when I had my first championship fight. I asked my parents, I said, listen, I had a chance to fulfill my dream. It's an opportunity that might never come back if I missed it. If it doesn't go the way I want, I can always come back next winter or next summer for the next uh, session at, at, at university. But if if I miss that opportunity, that window will be closed forever. School, mm -hmm. I can always come back. So that's when I took the the, the, the choice and, and, I, and I left. But it's only a few people that make it, you know? It's very, very rare, you know? And most of the time, you only hear about the people that make it, but you don't hear about the majority of, of them that just simply does not make it. And, and it's a very sad ending for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. One of the happiest place to be for me is the gym. It's the happiest place because I can, you know, train and, and practice the sport that I love, martial art. But it's all, it also one of the saddest place because very often I had some young kids that come to me and ask me for, for advice and if I would have been 100% honest with them, I would have told them straight up, trying to find something real that you wanted to do for a living. You know what I mean? Because the only thing that can happen now is that, that you're going to get hurt or, or you're going to get broke. Uh, you know what I mean? You, sh you should find something uh, more serious. Mm. And, and it's a sad thing. And if I tell them the truth, they will see me as someone who's arrogant, but it's a very sad thing story and i and i've seen this movie before many times mm -hmm. unfortunately 
Yeah, and you're reflecting back reality, really, which is sad. And and you you spoke about you know men who don't make it or men who get into accidents, but there's there's so many injuries in the sport, right? And and I think it's this we we don't really talk about it. And it's part of this masculinity sort of narrative, right? That it, you and and it was sort of exposed with Simone Biles, you know, and her taking a, a, not a break, but setting boundaries and limits to what she was able to do, and everyone coming after her, like we. I think if more men also modeled that in in, in sports and yes, let yes. men do that, then everyone could do it, right? It, it was great. And she had the courage to do something I wasn't able to. You know, I took a break after my fight with Johnny Andrews because I was going through, you know, I was I had a lot of problems. I was going also through a depression. But at that time, I was thinking, if I come public and tell people that I'm that I'm on, on a depression, they're going to... They're gonna tell me, hey, what is he complaining for? He's popular. Mm-hmm. He has money. He, he's a he's a he's a celebrity mm-hmm. athlete. You know yeah. what is he complaining? So I was ashamed. I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to see people that come out because it can happen to everybody. I was feeling like that. I, I was feeling like I couldn't breathe. Couldn't breathe. I was like feeling like some some a little bit like claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. I had too much mm-hmm. pressure on my shoulder for mm-hmm. too long. And I was seeing Sim, Simon Ball, uh, Tyson Fury was very vocal about it too. It, it makes me realize like, man, I, they did something that at the time I didn't have the courage to do. I, mm. I, you, know, I, you know what I mean? I, didn't, I, I should have just simply be 100% honest. So yeah. even now, I, even though I'm a world champion fighter, there's things that I don't have the I'm, like, I'm courageous to go fight in a cage, but sometimes to say it as it is, mm-hmm. yes. it takes a lot of courage. I and I was that. not man enough to say it at the time. And, and oh, I'm learning wow. from my experience. I'm still becoming a better human being because I know I should have done it back then. Well, well I think what we're, we're getting at here, I think is so important. And I'm so happy to hear you talk about this, especially a man like you, so respected by men, is the difference between physical and emotional bravery. And what I write about um, a little bit is just how my entire life as a boy and as a man the type of bravery that I was told was important was physical bravery. Anything that's yeah. physical, a physical risk, anything we're, you know, and, and it, even down to what we applaud in culture, right? Like we applaud the firefighters who run into the burning buildings. We applaud the, um, you know, the, the, the veterans who fought for our country and we should. But what about the men and women who take a stance like Simone Biles, who are willing to step away from the ring for their mental health? Um, who are the, the AA, who, who goes to Alcoholics Anonymous like your father at six, when you were 16 yeah. and says, I want a better life. I believe that's the type of bravery that we need to be making more room for. So I'm, just, I'm curious if you're open to telling us a bit about the type of depression you were under and why you think that happened. And because again, we associate alphaness with physical dominance, but yeah. What if what if someone like you had the power to shift that? What if it wasn't about dominating physically? What if it was about the emotional bravery? What is it about like, hey, sure, that matters, but you know what matters more? The ability to say like, I need help. I'm hurting. I have depression. Because that seems to be the most unmanly thing right now. There is different form of courage. I was, people are saying to me, oh, you're so courageous, you were, you were, you were fighting in, a, in the octagon in front of a lot of people, yet that's only one form of courage. Mm. I lacked different uh, form of courage too. You know, sometimes you need to say 
to say it like it is, but you don't have the the courage to do it. Mm. And I maybe that's one of the form of courage that that I lacked at the time when I uh, took my break. I was going through a, a lot of tough time, you know, in my personal life, and I had so much pressure for too long. I was not in a happy place, and I didn't know how to to explain that to people because I I was afraid to being judged. Yeah. Because people they don't they don't wear my shoes. They 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 can't they cannot put themselves in my shoes to see the world how, how it is for me. So I was afraid and I and and I and I laugh and and I regret it. I uh it mm. takes a lot of courage to seek help sometime and to say it like it is. And um it took me a long time, it took me more than four years to come back. Did, do you or did you go to therapy ever? I didn't go to therapy. I used time. I, I, I did stuff because all my life, it was about performance. It was, there was, on, there was only one goal in my life. It was about becoming the best fighter. And, and, and to, to be the best at something, I believe you need to be obsessed. Yeah, tunnel vision. And one thing that all elite athletes have in common and all drug addicts, alcoholic they are they have an addiction yes yes now we're talking it's the same thing i have the same addiction the brain the way it works is the same i i i listen um a psychologist on podcast the other day and he was talking about this and he was saying the brain doesn't make the difference for it's an addiction yeah the only thing that that is different is in in our society we glorify elite athletes and we look down upon drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah. But the addiction is the same thing. It's a, it's an addiction that we have. And um, that's why I believe a lot of professional athletes, once they retired, a lot of them fall apart. Mm. They, uh, because they don't have that high or they, they simply just can't retire on time. On time. They, 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 the sport has to retire them. And I didn't want to make the same mistake. Looking at my surrounding, especially in my, in my environment, I've seen a lot of those. It's it's a nightmare. If you go to the to the Hall of Fame, you see a lot of the, the fighters. The, the or, or I'm talking about fight, fight, fighters in MMA, but also boxers. A lot of them have a lot of issues, mm. and, and a lot of athletes. If you would ask them the, the the question once they retire, maybe ten years after, they will tell you the truth. A lot of them, the big majority, will wish they would have retired earlier. Yeah. And not only in fighting, in, in baseball too. Like they, are, they, 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 they just did it for too long. They can have a, a, an injury. And if they would have retired a little bit earlier, they would have been healthy. But the problem is we're addicted to that, to that high, to, that, to, to put it on, all the, on the line. And when we stop, we feel like we're not alive anymore. Mm -hmm. So I believe the best way to deal with this is to find yourself another goal. Even if it seems unreachable, my goal in the beginning when I wanted to become champion in MMA was it seems unreachable and I did it and I'm happy. Now, once I retire, it's been more than, it's been about four years that I'm having acting classes because I wanted to, mm -hmm. I wanted to change and now I'm aiming for a different goal. A lot of people laugh at me in the beginning. They're like, ah, ha, ha, you never get, you're never going to go into acting because it seems unreachable. But that's my goal. I transfer my addiction to fighting into acting. Now I'm, I'm, I'm training really hard. I'm having English classes. 
uh, <laughs> acting camera classes, theater classes to improve my skills in it. Um, and you need to transfer your, your goal. You know what I mean? Because if you stop everything and you're satisfied, you don't have nothing else to look forward to. That's when you can, you can fall into depression. And that's, a, I believe, the big problem with a lot of athletes once they retire. I, I, uh, I love so much what you're saying. I want to put, I want to challenge you in, in one way and not in an alpha challenge. I can't even believe I'm saying I want to challenge George St. Pierre. There's a part of me that's like, what the, Justin, what the mm -hmm. fuck is wrong with you? But there's one thing I want to just challenge you a little bit on is what you just said, this idea of in some ways you've transferred your addiction, right? You transferred your addiction from fighting now to acting. And one of the things that I'm learning right now, George, in my own healing work and therapy is that my addiction, very similar to yours, right? I, I actually would say that the majority of all successful people are successful because of a trauma they experience. And it's a response to that trauma that there's a part of us that are healing something from our childhood that is why we become experts, which is why we become a, why we become elite athletes or you know whatever it is. It's that drive, right? It's that trauma response. And if if we're not able to stop, we're never going to actually heal the thing that's underneath it. Yeah. So so I've learned, and I don't mean I'm not I'm not meaning to call you out, but what I just heard is something that I've done, which is okay. I'm going to stop doing that, but I'm going to pick up this other addiction. And, if, and yeah. there's a part of my brain that won't ever let me stop because if I stop, I die because that's how intense that addiction is for me. And for me, it was porn and then it's success. It's, it's something else, whatever it is, it'll just show up in different ways. And so I would want to challenge you by saying, I hope you can get to the point where it's okay if you stop, if it's okay if acting doesn't work because you are going to be enough no matter what. I, um, in the last 25, in the last 25 years, it almost never happened that I take a day without training. Mm. Almost never. I mean, maybe once a week, but never during the week time. You know, it, it was very rare. Like I should have, maybe it's because I was sick or injured or something very, like so, something very big. Because otherwise I, I would have felt like I'm not getting closer to my goal. Every single day I was training. I was doing something in order wow. to make me a better fighter, to, to get me closer to my goal. That's, all my, my, that's my mentality. Hmm. That's one of the big reasons why I had success. It's so easy to let, let one day go, the day become a week, the week become a month, and then yeah. it's a year. And then you, 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 you find out that you just, you just messed up your whole, your whole life. Yeah. So that's, that was one of my strengths, but it's an addiction too. And you yeah. know what? Just give you an example. Today, for example, like today, I woke up, I, I had an Eng English courses, English, co English class through Zoom. Then I went to eat. Then I came back, I had some errand to do, and now I'm, I'm here doing the podcast. I'm, I'm probably not gonna train today. If I would have a day like this earlier in my life, I would have felt terrible. It mm -hmm. I would have, you know, I would have, it was unthinkable. Mm -hmm. It's still hard today in my mind. I have to get this idea out. 
But so how, what's your message then to men, you're a father, right? Men who are fathers, right? And who want to be good at work, but also want to be there for their partners and their children. Like how, is that even possible? I think, I think it's possible. Uh, You need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and identify the, your priorities. My priority now are not the same that it was uh, 25 years ago or 10 years ago, um, because I'm not the I'm not the same person, you know. And, yeah. and you're not, you know. I remember when I was 15 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to do. When I saw the first video of Royce Gracie, I was 16. Now I had a sense of direction. I knew what I wanted to do, but the chance of of uh, you know like achieving it were very, very low. You know what I mean? Mm. So what I'm saying, because I know a lot of kids are could be watching, it's normal to not knowing what you want to do, you know? But you need to to still work in, towards that goal in a general way. It's like a funnel. You know, you start wide. When you start in the beginning, I believe you need to have a, a foundation, a base to mm. be educated. Yeah. To being educated give you more option. It's like a, an assurance. Once you have this, it's your base. That's it. it. It's like a funnel. You might not want you. You might not know what you want to do, but you get closer. And as you grow up, you change. You want you will not be the same person at twenty that you were at fifteen, and twenty five that you were at twenty, and thirty that you were. You know what I mean? You constant yeah. constantly change. Trust your life. Trust. Trust yourself. It will come. You know, one day you'll 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 make a, a choice. You'll you'll know what you want to become. And I think for for a, a, a kid, you know, sometimes the parent try to force their kid to become a a replica of themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would yeah. never want one of my kid to become a replica of myself. I would want them to choose what to to, to do what they want to do. You know, I think kids should should have the choice to do what they want to do. And if they want to become an engineer, become an engineer, but be the best engineer. If you want to become a janitor, be the best janitor. Whatever you want to choose that you want to do as a career with your life, choose it, but try to become the best at it. Hmm. Um, I have a confession. Um, I hope this doesn't... uh... I hope I'm okay to say this. I hope I hope that you're um, that I don't hurt your heart. I had no idea who you were before we did this podcast. <laughs> um, not because you're not brilliant and wonderful, um, and and you're not like you know. And I mean, you're you're in the inducted into the Hall of Fame, so clearly it's it's me. <laughs> um, what what I, the reason why I say that um, is because if I saw you walking down the street, I I wouldn't know any of your career. <laughs> right. I don't follow UFC. It's not, it's, you know, I follow basketball. You mentioned basketball and, you know, uh, so as we're talking and I'm listening, a lot of you're sharing such wonderful things. A lot of it is centered around, um, career, um, and things of that nature. E- even as we talked about depression still has it related to career. So let me pretend that I was to invite you to my house. Because I wouldn't invite you to my house because you're this famous UFC fighter that's a Hall of Famer, right? I, I don't care. I, I I just wouldn't care. But I would care about you. Like, who is this dude? Who is this dude that's talking about these things? I'm more. I'm just more interested in that guy, right? 
So let me ask you a couple questions that have nothing to do with the very thing that I'm the most ignorant person in the room about, right? Um, which is now that you have gone through life, seen the mountaintop, you know, um, experienced so much, you've experienced money, of course, you've experienced fame and recognition. What I care most about and what we're doing on this podcast is how we as men uh, can make a difference in the world, not just for myself, not just for my own satisfaction, but really the legacy that we leave is that we change the world and somehow, right? Somehow for our children and for others. And one of them being women, of course, right? We know patriarchy is like, um, is one of the things that's just oppressed humanity for too long. So what we're trying to do on this podcast is have discussions like we're having now and like, what, what can we do better just as men? What can we unlearn? What can we learn more of so that we can contribute to that advancement? Um, do you have any thoughts about that in terms of your world, like how you walk? Yeah, my life was always about myself. Now it's it's about uh, making people of my family happy, um, mm. and uh, it's very important for me. Um, it, 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 in the early time of my life, it was always about me, 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 me. Now I, I don't come first; I come second. Mm. You know, it, this thing happens when you get older. You know, mm. and. Uh, with family and um one thing though that i realize is as much as i'm a i am a popular like, like a, a celebrity figure as athlete it's important for me that i protect the people i love like um a few years ago, I did a, a special uh, on, uh, it was on, on TV, it was about, uh, you know, they were following me with a camera and everything. And they, they went to my parent house to meet my parent and everything. And I'm from countryside. And uh, after the show come on here, it was called a prime time. Still to this day, I have people that go at my parent house, knock at the door okay. to talk to me. People dr dr drive from <laughs> more than 200 miles. Like oh. sometimes they come from United States to to talk to me. They I'm go so to my sorry. parent's house. So it's a, it's a scary thing. Mm. I uh, I don't know if it's the nature of my sport that brings certain like some people. And, like that's why when I when you look at my social media, you know you never see any picture of my family or anything like this because I, I for me it's very important. Even though it's the most gratify and the the greatest thing i ever accomplished in my life you know people talk about my career and all this this is nothing compared to my per personal life my personal life is a hundred thousand times better than everything and i'm very happy hmm. and but the way that i need to preserve it is is, is by a secrecy you know by by a lot of People, they, they openly put that on, on their social media and everything. I never did anything like it. I never did it. But it's my treasure. It's my, my diamond. You know what I mean? Like, like the, 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 the most important thing for me. And that's also the thing in a way that I'm the most proud of. Uh, but in order to, to, to preserve it, I need to protect it. And um, when I realized that, it was when, like, still to this day, like, a, a, there's people like ghosts my parent house because it's very easy to find. I'm from Saint's dog and 
you go in the, the phone book, it's, you, you find my, my, with my family name, you found the name, people know the name of my dad because of that. And they, they show up there and it's uh, it was scary. You know what I mean? And that's why it makes, maybe people call me paranoid, but <laughs> it's something that's so. very important. No, no, based on that, nope, that's not, not paranoid, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's reasonable. I don't know. It's because maybe the nature of the field that I gravitate into, like fighting, it brings a lot of mm. a oh, yeah. certain kind of people, you know, sometimes they, 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 they're more extreme, you know, yeah. like they want to meet you or, or yeah. maybe the fan base is different. Mm. And maybe <laughs> that's the reason why I don't know. No, I mean, if I had people yeah. coming to my, I, I would uh, just delete everything with my yeah. kids. We know that you have a time constraint, so we should probably, yeah. you know, I don't know where we are into it. I think we're going to go with rapid fire questions, uh, which are kind of quick answers. So this is from Martha Duque actor. How does society portray a man being in his prime? And how do you define a man being in his prime? And she has put quotations for that term. Great, great, great question. Great question. In society, being a man in his prime for, I believe, most people, if you're in your prime, your physical prime in terms of shape, uh, in terms of athletic performance. However, for me personally, a man who is in his prime is to much later in his life mm. because he acquire a certain certain knowledge that mm. he didn't have early on. So he's able to make better choice. He has more wisdom. To be in your prime, I believe for me personally, is to be between mm. 70 and 90 years old. Could be more or less, depending on every person is different. But it's not a man in his 20, 20s or early 30s. That, uh, that's how most of society see it. So basically what you're saying is you're defining, you're defining a man in his prime, not by his physical prowess, mm -hmm. not by his ability to yes. kick another guy's ass, not by his ability to physically defend somebody, no. but by the accumulation of wisdom and experience. And knowledge experience wisdom exactly mm, i love that's that. i believe when you're at your yeah your maximum in terms of potential in, i hope because you tell, i don't see it. i hope i just i hope you tell all your male followers that that, <laughs> yeah. would, be, that would be amazing all right go ahead. When's the last that's time? how it is i think that's that's how it should be you know what i mean yeah. that should be that for women too by the way Oh yeah, we got a lot of work to do on that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, the, the, and 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 uh, because the, the the environment I gravitate around, uh, especially for the the sport, you know, it's it's about performance. But there's also in terms of performance, I would think I would like to think that I'm 40 years old now. Maybe physically in terms of athletic ability, my athletic ability might have diminished a little bit, but I'm, I'm under the impression that my knowledge and experience have come up mm -hmm. and I could, well, even though I'm retired, I could well be better now than I was at 25, I think. Oh, wait, are we but, hearing you say something? Are you going to come back? Is that what? No, 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 I'm no, no, just no, joking. No. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying that if I would want to, the yeah. reason why I'm not fighting is because I never enjoyed it. And, and it's for other personal reasons. Because I have, like I said, other priorities. I'm not, yes. I no longer need it anymore. Uh, George, tell me when the last time you cried was. Man. I was by myself. It was actually, not yesterday, it was 
two days ago. Mm. I was I was rehearsing um, a script for a movie movie scenario, and I needed to cry. And uh, in order to cry, I needed to remember a souvenir. I used a, a very sad souvenir. Um, uh, I went to uh, when my grandmother passed away a few few months ago. Uh, she was ninety five years old. You know, it's pretty good life. But I I, I went to the cemetery for this you know the ceremony after the funeral. We went to the cemetery where she's buried, and I saw the tomb the tomb of my cousin who died when he was much uh, younger. He was like sixteen years old, and unfortunately. It's a very devastating thing that happened. And when I was looking at his tomb, I, um, his mother says, "Hey, George, he was everything for you. You know, like you, you were his, you were his hero." And, and that, I didn't cry on the spot, and I hold it because I don't like to cry on people. That's another idea that I should get reared of. Mm, yeah. But I'm, that's how I am, and it's hard to admit that that's how I, I am. I'm, I'm not man enough. I should just let it go and cry because it. <laughs> It would have been okay. Hmm. But in my surrounding, I've been so forced to think that, oh, you shouldn't cry. You shouldn't show these weakness in public. So I hold it back. Hmm. So when I was practicing, now I fast forward, no, no, two days ago when I was practicing that scene that I should cry about something completely different. It's part of this, the script. To help me cry, I thought about that moment. And man, I, <laughs> right away, my eyes became in tears and everything. So, yeah, that's the last time I cried because mm -hmm. I have a souvenir that I remember that yeah. happened a few months ago that really hurt me on the spot, but I hold it back. And now <sighs> it's not okay. You should not hold it back. And I did it. It's, you know, mm, thanks for sharing. George, uh, a lot of, I've gotten a lot of responses from men when I talk about my insecurities who tell me that real men shouldn't be insecure. What are you insecure about? Man, there's a lot of things I'm insecure about. Mm, I love hearing that. Man, I don't know when, where to start. It's a lot of things. I was insecure in many situations. Like i always been, uh, when you, you go ask a girl for, in, 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 for, a, for a date, I was insecure. Uh, of course, before a, a fight, everybody knows. Uh, when you have to apologize to someone, Mm. It makes you insecure because would would that person um, accept your apology, or would it be would he be mad, or would he tell you to uh, f out? You know, it's very hard. It's very mm. hard to to admit sometimes that you do something wrong and you need to apologize to someone, mm -hmm. and it, it makes you very insecure. It, it puts you a very in a very vulnerable spot. Mm. Great pivot for our next one. When is the last time that you apologized? It was like about a week ago that I um, I got mad. I got mad to to my sister for something, and um, I got angry, and I kind of overreact. I, I did not realize at the time because I, I was emotional. But I, I I called her. I say I'm sorry what I what I said. You know, I I if I put your myself and your in your shoes i could see why you did this but when i talked to you i was 
selfish. I, I didn't do this. Mm. I was too much emotional. But now looking back at things, I, I can, you know, I don't think mm. what you did was right, but I can understand your point of view and why you did it. So mm. I overreact and I really, I'm, I apologize about it. I love that. Takes time. And she accepts the apology. So it makes me feel good. It's off my chest now. This is this is something that when I was young I, w- I was not doing, I uh, I didn't have the courage to do. Uh, when something like this happened, I, I let it go and I and, and I thought of it like, oh, I'm gonna let time heal it. Even though you feel on your chest, you feel you feel bad. You time goes by and you forgot about it. But yeah. I believe if you do that through all your life, it accumulate, 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 and it will wear on your shoulder. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's important to release it as. Yeah. As it goes, you know, when I don't keep it inside of you, real men apologize. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, real quick, if you could go back in time to that little boy who was being bullied, maybe who wasn't getting attention from his alcoholic father, that insecure boy, if you could whisper in his ear, what would you tell him? I, I would tell him that I that I love him, oh. and um, I never say that. Until and maybe until this day, I never say that. I never I say it to you, but I never had the courage to say say it to him yet. Oh. I'm still not. You know, I'm I'm talking always in the past, but when I said earlier, I, I didn't like who I saw in the mirror, and I I fall in love with that image that who I wanted to become. I'm still not that guy. I'm still not perfect, and and I'm honest, hundred percent. I. I uh, there's thing that I still don't have the courage to say, but I should say, you know what I mean? Mm. I, I, it's okay to say, but it's, mm. it's so weird. You know what I mean? But I, I yeah. should say it. We've been and, conditioned. And, and I know that I still have a lot of things that I need to work on, especially on myself, you know, in, in mm. terms of emotion. It's okay for a man to tell another man, Hey man, I love you. You, you, you had a, a huge impact and uh, you know what I mean? It, it, it takes a lot. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's something that you need to be done, hopefully mm. in the near future. Yes. And then if you could go, if you could be a guest at your own funeral, if you could watch what people say about you, what do you hope they say about you and the way you lived your life? Well, I don't want my funeral to be sad in a way that I want it to be happy in a way that people are thinking that I had a great life and I live I live it to the fullest with no regret like it's okay to have regret but toward, at the end I was able to make peace with all of it all the mistakes that I have done because I believe in in, in everything we have in life we, we we have to be able to detach from it no matter what it is your computer, your car, your house, your friend, your family, your mom, dad, everything, kids, whatever it is. One day you will be separated from it. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it's hard. It's, it's, it's a very big challenge of life, you know? And, and I think, I hope that when that happened, that people that are close to me are able to make that, that transition uh, smooth, smoothly. You know what I mean? And it's very hard. It demands a lot of wisdom, a lot of uh, a lot of strength, you know, in a way. Mm. All right. Last question. 
Georges Saint-Pierre, what does it mean for you to be man enough? To be man enough, I believe, is to be able to do the right thing, even though to the eyes of people, mm. it is not. Wow. To do the right thing when you know it's the right thing in your heart, to have the courage to stood up to it and to do it, to follow your heart. You know, when you think something yes. is good and you believe in it, to, 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 to stick to it and have the strength to do it, even though maybe the entire planet think is wrong. You know what I mean? But if, if you think in your heart is the right thing to do, do it. And this, mm -hmm. this is the truth. You know what I mean? I love that so much. And I, and I, and I just want to offer one thing. I'm not, and this is not me giving advice. I just want to offer a thought because I feel like we've gotten to know each other. You've been so vulnerable with us. And I'd, I'd beat myself up if I didn't say this, but so many people come to you for advice. So many young boys look up to you because you are what so many of us want to be. We've been all been bullied, made fun of, insecure, and you found a way to overcome all of it and you've used your physical strength. But what you just said, I think, is the most important thing you could ever say. It's about following your heart. And one of the things I'm teaching my son and I offer this to you, and maybe you'll have your own spin on it when these boys talk to you. But one of the things I'm teaching my son, because the world is going to teach him to be like George St. Pierre. The world's going to teach him he needs to fight and defend himself. What I'm teaching him is that the strongest muscle in his body is his heart. So maybe in addition to go to school, you can help these young boys remember that do all that stuff, go to school, but the most important thing, the strongest muscle in your entire body isn't your biceps, it's not your legs for that roundhouse kick or your fist for that jab, it's your heart because that's gonna be the thing that matters more than anything in this whole world. And I want you to know that you, my brother, with your bravery today, are man enough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm still not perfect. I still have a long way to go, but and that's what makes I'm you man enough. Getting closer to become man enough as much as I want to be, but I'm still not there. <laughs> oh man, I uh, I hope we can all hang out together and uh, get to know each other at some point. I will never take my shirt off around you ever. Um, <laughs> and uh, and thank you so much for being here, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, brother. Thank you very much, guys. We'll be right back. This is Man Enough. Hello and welcome back to Man Enough. Yes, sir. Jamie, I so appreciate you speaking so much during that conversation. You had so much, so much to say. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Because you didn't know who he was? I had no clue. Is that why? <laughs> I mean, of course I knew that we, you know, we prepped and, you know, I knew that he's, so, you know, I did some research and, you know, but I, you know. Well, I mean, Travis Van Winkle, you know, one of our dear friends texted yep. me and said, I can't even believe you didn't invite me to set this. Yeah. Uh, so he has that much influence. I was so yeah, clearly. I'm gonna be honest. I had no idea if he was gonna have armor on or be guarded. I know mm. there was there's a little bit of a language thing, but I was so impressed at how open he was and how vulnerable he was. Yeah, like he 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 shared that he had depression and anxiety and uh, 
even crying and all of these things. And, and these are not normalized things. My favorite right part is when he said he didn't have the courage to do what Simone Biles did. Yes. And like use that word over and over again. Like I didn't, I wasn't strong, as strong as her, yeah. uh, essentially, which I think should have been the narrative that a lot of athletes um, should have should have spoken out about. And, and that would have given us, I think, a very different mm-hmm. perspective on what she did. That's so fair. I really appreciated that. But it takes men like him. Um, sharing these things for us to start to normalize some of this. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, people like him are looked at and that sport is a god. And if he's open about this stuff, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's how change happens. That's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're cracking, cracking it open little by little and uh, making mm-hmm. progress. Yeah. I really appreciate you being honest and telling, you know, the most <laughs> famous man in UFC history that you had no clue who he was. That that took bravery too, Jamie Keith. I can't wait to mm-hmm. tell some of our friends that. Uh, you'll probably get so many texts of other people who are saying, I can't believe you didn't bring me to set. Now that then it's gonna be out. Yeah, it's gonna and be out. People are gonna be, gonna be like, Why did you have Jamie there? Why why was <laughs> yeah. I there? Um, I, mean, I love your uh, question though. I loved your question. Yeah, I loved it too. And and um not the question. <laughs> I loved my own question. Wow. Um, I, I loved your question. We loved it. Thank you. Um, you know, as much as I loved the conversation and having it, having it with him, this iconic person, clearly, I mean, anyone that's in a hall of fame of anything is, um, iconic in, in, at least in that field and then in the world in many ways. And I still am interested because while we did go deep in some ways that you just acknowledged, I still think the norm for us men, we have to go more, yeah. um, as much as he was willing to go, it still was surrounded, um, with like, you know, work and, you know, even like yeah. his, which is great. It's not that I'm critiquing him at all. Just that we learn how to to navigate um, really, really getting into the next we're not, And we're not there. Yeah, I know. And that's what's so interesting about these conversations, right? Because I'll be, I'll be honest. There's a whole part of my brain before I talk to George St. Pierre that's like insecure, I'm not as much of a man. I don't know how I I would get my, he could destroy me, kick my ass in a fight. And then there's a part of me that's measures my masculinity that way. But this is the whole, this is the flaw with the concept of the alpha. Because in this conversation, if George and I were in a sparring match right now, but the, but the actual rules were about, um, emotional intelligence or the ability to have these types of conversations, I wouldn't be insecure. I'm only insecure when the parameters are fight. But I'm not insecure when we're talking about going deep and being vulnerable. And that's something that I have to physically work on is to remind myself like, wait a second, the rules of the patriarchy demand this of me, but that's not actually how worth is measured, right? You put put someone like George, who is the alpha of the UFC um, in a chess tournament, and Jamie kicks his ass. Oh, I maybe def- I'm I would, assuming. I, I'm I just would, assuming something. But you're a, you're a master chess player. Just masterful. I did not know that. He's really good. Oh my god! I'm not really a master play. chess player, but yes, I, I, I would throw down though. Damn. Yes, you are. Anyways, I just thought it was really yeah. sweet, and I and I, you know, and I just applaud his bravery and sharing these things. And I really hope yeah, that if you're you know if you've made it this far, if you're a man listening to this, that you like me can start to look at some of this stuff and ask these questions. Like this doesn't serve us. Where do we get these ideas? Why does it have to be about physical bravery? Why don't we celebrate emotional bravery? And women. Yeah. 
<laughs> Next time I would ask him if he ever comes back on our show, I'm going to ask, like, these are four questions I, I'm real curious about all men. How do you feel about women? Because it's all tied together. How do you it's feel about women? Together. Do you think women are equal? Uh, uh, most people are going to say yes. Oh, okay. What do you do about it? What do you think about race? What do you think about your status in the world? What? How do you use your status to do things differently? Um, those are the questions that I care most about about any man. So you're going to start asking those questions. Good. I do he ask does. Them. Yeah, he I does. Do. I do generally. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't know who I was talking to, so I <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know that I was talking to one of the most famous people in the world. Wow. This has happened to me with other guests. I will be honest. Yeah. I won't say who, but yeah. come on. It happens to everybody. It does. We're, but, we're in different But run, when Rain Wilson walked in this room, <laughs> oh, I know Liz Plank became a fan girl. Boy, did she. Uh, if you like this conversation, please follow us and like us wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And uh, check us out at manenough.com slash podcast. Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Jamie Heath. And he knows nothing about UFC. And this is Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfarer Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Malhotra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Kerry Rathode from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kahea Kiwaha is our producer. Brandy Cole is head of marketing. Susie Landers O'Connell is our assistant editor. And Josh Schneider is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.